care of us over October for uh, pastor appreciation. And I just know that in our county, there are a lot of pastors that don't get the kind of treatment that this entire staff got. And that's no reflection on them. Uh, they, their calling is just as important as my calling or anybody else's calling. Uh, but for whatever the, ra- the reason, whether the, the church has never been taught this, it's, it's hard for, for a pastor to say, well, you ought to honor, honor me. You ought to do something for me. Why don't you do something for me? You know, it's, it's difficult. But what I really felt like the Lord put in my heart, and it, and it really bore witness with Pastor John, um, was that we needed to start having a, a community-wide pastor appreciation. And uh, the first one is going to be held here in, uh, on January the 17th, right here in this room. We're pulling pastors together from all the community, going to feed them a nice meal. Um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, just honor them. We're just going to practice honor, and we're going to practice hospitality right here. And so Pastor John and I are working on putting that together, getting the word out to the pastors. Why do I bring that up? Because uh, I feel like the Lord has given us this, uh, this opportunity to, uh, to initiate the uh, the locking of arms together in our community so that we can, the church, uh, it's not just all the churches, but it's the church, right? It's one church that we could, uh, every, there are a lot of different expressions of the local body of Christ, but we are one in the Lord. And, and we, we, need to, uh, we need to pull together and really minister into our community. I, I, one of the things that the Lord's put on my heart, and, and I hope that you'll be a part of this, is that we need to be strategic in the way that we, uh, that we pray over our county. Um, Gloucester County is by and large lost. I mean, they're probably, conservatively speaking, only 10 to 12% of the people in our county attend church anywhere on Sunday, whether it's here in the county or across the river. And, uh, and so we have a huge, huge need here in this community. There's, there's plenty of, uh, of lostness to go around. Every church in the county could be full two or three or four times over, and we wouldn't even scratch the surface of people that need to know the Lord. So we need to be strategic in prayer because everything comes from an atmosphere of prayer, doesn't it? Um, And so I I really uh, feel like one of the first steps the Lord is going to have us to do is to mobilize the churches to pray and pick up areas. Each each church would adopt an area, uh, a region of the county that we would pray for. I want to be able to look anybody in the face that I see at Walmart or anybody in the community and say, the church has prayed for you. But I'm, I, I can't say that right now, but I want to be able to say it because I, I feel like it needs to be a boast that we as a church say, you know what, we've prayed for you. We've prayed for your street. We've prayed for your house. We've prayed for what's going on in your home. We've prayed for you. We've prayed for you. There's, there's spiritual authority when we begin to pray. And, uh, and so I, I'm just believing that, uh, that through this open door of hospitality uh, that's happening in January, that that is going to be the foundation step where we begin to work together in a greater way than we ever have. And so I'm looking forward to that. Another thing that I'm looking forward to, and you're going to hear more about this um, as we move into 2020, um, about there are somewhere between 31 and 35 
leaders that lead teams here at Lighthouse. About 35 people make everything happen. In other words, now there's a lot more workers that are making it happen, but, but team leads that are, that are responsible to take the information that they get and, and make sure that the mission gets accomplished, whatever. The, and, it, and it's in every area. I won't, I won't mention one because I'll, I will uh, end up not mentioning the other 30 uh, that do it. And, and all the people that just say, hey, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. You know, and so there are a lot of things that get done by, by that, what I would consider to be the core of the leadership here at Lighthouse. And, I, and a number of you have come to me and said, Pastor Ken, I, I really feel like God's got more in my life. I want, I want to do more for him. And so what I'm planning to do starting the second Sunday in January is I'm going to start leadership training right here after service of every second Sunday of the month. Uh, we'll, we'll be together for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes or so. And, uh, and we're just going to focus in on the basics, and, and I'm going to practice uh, teaching you leadership training. And I'm believing God for another 70 leaders, not workers, 70 leaders, people that would be responsible to speak life into three or four other people and, and to take responsibility for an area of ministry that needs to expand or an area of ministry that needs to be developed. Uh, there are a number of areas that are starting to firm up the men's ministry. We now have a leader in Ed Knight. Ed's back there. Just raise your hand, Ed. Ed Knight is going to be our men's ministry director here at Lighthouse. That's going to be launching in January. Uh, a hospitality team uh, to look after what we're doing uh, here to make sure we're uh, providing the best possible hospitality uh, uh, that we possibly can do inside our four walls and what that's going to look like. Um, our, our service coordination is going to need to improve because of live streaming. We're going to make sure that we uh, tighten things up uh, a little bit and making sure we have people looking after that, the video production team. There are a lot of different things that are just about to really break out. And, uh, but we're not just going to put people in there and say, oh, figure it out. We're going to train you. And uh, so uh, I'm just putting a bug in your ear about that. This is a little bit of housekeeping, but I want you to know what's coming. I also anticipate that when we get ready to do uh, our fast going into the new year, we're not going to do our usual 21-day fast in January. We're going to fast for Lent which is 40 days starting in, uh, on February the 26th. Don't panic. Don't go, don't go hoarding food. <clears throat> putting it in your closet so your spouse doesn't know where it is. You're going to hear more about it, but uh, one, of the, one of the books that we're going to be reading, uh, that the guys are going to be reading when we, when we relaunch our Thursday nights in January, is called The Jesus Fast by Lou Engel. Um, and so if you don't already have the, the book, get the book. Um, we're going to be navigating through that together on Thursday nights. And, uh, but I'm, I'm just, I have, I have an excitement in my, in my spirit for what the Lord's going to do. Um, I believe that out of this fast, the Holy Spirit is going to raise up those that are going to go through our School of Supernatural Leadership starting sometime in the fall of next year. And so all of this is preparation for the things that the Lord wants to do. Um, so hang on to your hats because God is doing some awesome things. And you're right in the middle of it. You are right in the middle of it. You're exactly where you need to be. Okay, so this morning, oh, one last thing, one last thing. Last Sunday of the month, the 29th, um, we are not having an 8 a.m. service, uh, and most of you, that won't affect. You'll just show up at 10 o'clock, but uh, 
but some of you normally go to the 8 o'clock, you're here today. I, I mentioned this to the 8 o'clock crowd, um, but if you happen to bump into people that don't know, on the 29th, last Sunday of the, of the year, we're, we're bringing the whole church together for one service, 10 a.m. We're also dedicating uh, six little ones that day, my granddaughter being one of, um, so we're excited about that. Um, but we just really felt like we wanted everybody together and, uh, and to, to, you know, to finish out the year strong, um, just all together in this place. So, amen. Have you ever said the statement, I wish I had known, I wish somebody told me? <laughs> that ever happened to you? I wish I'd known, I wish somebody had told me. My, uh, my father-in-law used to say, husbands and fathers are always the last to know. I don't know if he was just a whiner. I'm not sure. But, uh, but I've added to that. Husbands and fathers and pastors are always the last to know. Anyway, um, that's just me being a little bit uh, of a whiner about that. Um, but, <clears throat> but, uh, but I've had moments in my life where, uh, where I wish I could have turned back time just a little bit. I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. A number of years ago, uh, this, uh, behind the, this wall right here uh, used to be what was called the choir room. And the choir room is where the choir practiced, got it? And uh, so now it's in an infant room for little lights, and 16 infants live there uh, day to day between uh, 6 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening. But back in the day when it was a choir room, we all, it also doubled as a Sunday school room. I've taught Sunday school all over this property. I, I literally used to teach Sunday school in the electrical room upstairs. That's right. It could have been a shocking experience. And, uh, and uh, you know, new believers class, where you would put new believers, you put them in the electrical room. Get right, you know, ch chances of walking out of here are, you know, be careful. And uh, so anyway, I was teaching Sunday school in the back one day. And there's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 people in there. And, and, uh, and everybody, as happens, you know, everybody's like here. And I was kind of standing here. And I was talking away, talking away, talking away. Got, got to the end, 45 minutes of teaching. And, uh, and uh, I won't tell you who it was, but his initials are Jerry Johnson. And he comes over to me 45 minutes after I taught and said, Pastor Ken, your fly's down. And there's probably three or four single ladies on the front row, and I had a nice white shirt on, and, and the surrender flag was like, was like waving in the breeze, you know. I wish I had known. I wish somebody told me. You ever felt that way? I felt that way. You know, God has a protocol about the way he gets his message out. He has a way. A protocol is one of these words that is often used in, in government whenever you uh, get ready to go see a judge, whenever you get ready to go see a commanding officer. There's a protocol. There's a way that you go about it. You don't just like walk in. There's a, there's a, 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 a procedure that's in place. And God has a protocol. I'm going to talk about God's protocol uh, for Advent, God's protocol for Christmas, because God's protocol is man's prophetic call. And so I want you to understand that God has a way that he does things, and we have to tune into his way of doing things. Uh, sometimes people try to bargain with God. Well, why doesn't God just do this? 
Well, you're asking God, the Ancient of Days, to change his ways. And really what he's looking for us to do is learn to be obedient children and function according to his pathways and understand his ways. Understand his ways. You know, what, there's, there's just great power in your life as a believer when you learn to understand God's ways. The scripture tells us, I think it's in Psalm 103.7, don't quote me on that, but it, it, it comes to mind. But it says, um, it says uh, Israel's, uh, Moses understood the ways of God, Israel saw his deeds. Moses understood God by going up to the tent of meeting and, and, and experiencing intimacy with God, saw God face to face. Israel just saw what happened. They didn't really get it. They didn't really understand God's ways. They just said, oh, hunger, feed me. Oh, thirsty, feed me, drink, give me drink. They, they, under, they, they, they just understood his deeds, but Moses knew his ways. And there's great strength and there's great maturity in learning to understand God's ways. And one of God's ways is he always gives advance notice. Advance notice. People say, well, I don't understand the activity of God. Well, it's not that God didn't speak. It's that you maybe weren't listening or maybe you weren't paying attention. And, and you know what? A majority of the world is like that, so don't feel left out, right? But God has better things in store for us who know him. So Mark chapter 1, I'm going to walk you through this, uh, these first eight verses, and then we'll get into the message. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want you to look at that word. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Notice that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't actually begin with Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel begins with a messenger who's going to tell about Jesus Christ. Are you tracking me? You see what I'm saying? So, uh, so he says, uh, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so uh, let's go to the next one. There you go. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, this wasn't in the corner, uh, in a little corner on the, the back streets of Jerusalem. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And this was his message, okay? So we, we understand that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a messenger, and this messenger was powerfully effective because the whole Judean countryside, that's not just the city, but that's the suburbs and the rural areas, they all came out to hear him. So John had some clout. God gave John a platform. And here is his message, the whole message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice that John doesn't save anything for himself. John says it's all about him. 
It's all about the one that's coming. It's all about the one that's on his way. And here's what you need to understand about him. He said, I am really not even worthy. In fact, if you were to uh, follow through on this vein of thought, we know that uh, John was a, a rather interesting looking character, right? Uh, had the, had the, the coat of camel's hair and the leather belt, you know, and, and had a, he was, uh, I don't know, you couldn't call it a vegan diet, right? Because he was eating locusts, right? And uh, so, but anyway, he had locusts and wild honey. That was his food. But, but he stood out, and, and there were things that, those were, those were some things in the law that were kind of like, yeah, he was, what, the way he dressed wasn't in alignment, fully in alignment with the law. It'd make him just a little bit unclean, just a little bit edgy. And yet his message was, I'm not worthy. So he dressed like somebody that wasn't worthy. Because he didn't want people to look at him. He wanted them to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He wasn't walking around sinning, per se, but he was pointing out the fact that, hey, I don't have it all together. This message didn't originate with me. It originated with the one who sent me, and I'm just here to tell you that the one that I listened to for 30 years in the wilderness said, one is coming, and you need to pay attention to him to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, here's a verse that ties in with this, and this goes to, along with God's protocol. This is the way God does things. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. I've heard people say, why doesn't God just write it in the sky? Why doesn't God, you know, and, and fill in the blank. You know, why doesn't God do it this way? Why doesn't God do it that way? I want to say, why don't you read your Bible? Just a thought. Um, I, you know, I, I want to say, why, why are you trying to listen to God on your own frequency? Because God has his own frequency that he's trying to get things across. And here's what he does. He reveals his plan through his prophets. If, if I could show you the, the pattern. See, there's a pattern that goes along with this. And uh, in, in your notes today, um, I want to just draw attention to, to this. John the Baptist is the Elijah to come. He's the greatest among those born of woman, Jesus says. But then Jesus goes on to say in that passage of Matthew uh, 11, 11, he says, the one who is uh, the, the uh, least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Why was John so great? John was so great because he had the greatest announcement. The messenger is only as good as the message. But the greatest announcement that the world had ever heard, John the Baptist had. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And that made him great. He's the voice of the one crying, prepare the way of the Lord. He's the last Old Testament prophet and the herald of the one who would announce the hero of the universe. And so when you think about what John was doing, there, John is answering, he's following through on a pattern that was in the Old Testament. Before you had David, you had who anointed David as the king? Samuel, right? Before you, so you couldn't have David unless you had the one who would do the pouring of the oil. 
right? Um, before you had Joshua, you had Moses who laid hands on him. Before you had Elisha, you had Elijah who had to lay hands on him. There was a pattern. There was not just the one that was to come, but there was the one that preceded the one to come so that everybody would recognize, hey, there's something happening here. There's this transition. God is doing something. And so John the Baptist goes out and everybody hears him. And then he gathers all the people together and he says, I got a message and it's not about me. It's about the one that's coming. You need to pay attention because the one that's coming is coming. And I don't want you to miss him. I don't want you to say, I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. John had the attention of all eyes. He had all of the people gathered around because he wanted them to hear the first Adventus, the one who is to come. He was saying it's not about what's happening in the daily day. It's not about who's, who's marrying who and who's seeing who and, and who's working this job. and work. It's about the one who is to come. Pay attention. It's about the one who is to come. And so this pattern takes place. And so Jesus, uh, you know, it, this, this is how this whole thing worked out. John is, is proclaiming his message, and he tells the people, you need to repent, and you need to respond to this message. And so John would get down in the Jordan River, and you, I've heard this, I've done this before, but some of you are new, and you, you don't know this. So here's what John does, right? I can just put myself in that, in that moment. So as they're standing there, John's preaching a message of repentance, and people begin, he says, if you want, if you want this, word, then line up over here. And people would line up next to the Jordan, and he would baptize them one at a time. Now, John was looking for something. You remember what he was looking for? He was looking because the voice that he had heard said, the one on whom the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and remains, that's the one. That's the one. And so he's baptizing one at a time. Oh, no dove. Thank you. Keep on going. Next. Dunk some, no dove, keep going, thank you, let's go, okay, move them through here. Day after day after day, he preaches, he baptizes, no dove, preaches, baptizes, no dove, preaches, baptizes, no dove. And then one day, here's Jesus. Jesus comes down there. John immediately recognizes him as a righteous man. Do you remember the conversation between the two of them? Jesus uh, gets to him and John looks at him and says, whoa. I need to be baptized by you. He recognized <clears throat> the righteousness of Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And what does Jesus say? Let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Let me tell you what Jesus was doing. He was connecting to the pattern. Because the Old Testament was about to give way to the New Testament. The Old Testament needed to be folded in. It needed to be fulfilled. Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle, not one little small letter of the law is going to pass away until it's fulfilled. And so Jesus comes down in the water. John baptizes him. And when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, anybody, we get spooky about, ooh, that person's really anointed. The anointing is simply the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not an it, it's a him. 
if a person's anointed, it's because they have, they've learned to commune with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not hocus pocus. It's you can have intimacy with God. You can know God. That's the New Testament reality. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, rests upon him, and John recognizes what's taking place. You know, there's a pattern for us there. Authority always flows through submission. It always flows through submission. People want to do things their own way, but it never works that way. Jesus, when he came in, into the earth, he submitted himself to the ordained ministry of the day. And God put authority upon him. God gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father. Where do you learn that kind of submission? Clean your room. Honor your father and your mother. You want to be great in the kingdom? Don't speed. Don't cheat on your taxes. Have I stepped on your toes yet? Learn to get along rather than have your way all the time. Authority flows through submission. You know, the centurion got it. I am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. And he, said, he understood how authority worked. And Jesus said, oh, that's a man that's got faith. Why, why could he say that? Because he understood how, how things worked in the kingdom, even though he was from outside the kingdom. Anyway. Anyway. Number one in your notes, <clears throat> that was all introduction. <clears throat> God is at work in the world. The very fact that God is speaking means that God is working. Uh, I, I want you to remember the fact that you got up this morning and the sun was up probably, right? How many of you like me, you got up before the sun was up? That's all right. Woo! Hoorah! The early morning army. And, uh, and, and so, you know, when the sun came up, it needs to be a reminder to you. Who made that sun in the first place? And how did he make it? God what? God spoke and said, light, y'all aren't, y'all are too quiet. Yeah, he said, let there be light. He said, light be, and the light was. When God spoke, he acted. When God spoke, he acted. He sent forth his word and healed our disease. So is my word that comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I send it forth to do. In other words, God's word and his activities, his works, are, are coupled together. Jesus said it this way. He said, he said you, may not, you may not believe my words, but at least believe the works. How many of you had a Bible back in the day that the words of Jesus were in red? And, you know, you kind of fall asleep on all the other words, but when you saw the words in red, you went, what? I got to pay attention to that. Right? The words of Jesus in red. You know what, should, what else should have been in red? The works of Jesus. Because his works are just as authoritative as his words. 
You say, well, where do you get that from, Pastor Ken? It sounds like a new doctrine. No, 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 no. The scripture says when Jesus looked at that, uh, that man that had just been healed and said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, well, who are you? You can't forgive sins. He said, so that you may know the Son of, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your mat and go home. And he demonstrated the, the, that the two were on the same plane. That when he could speak the word and say, be healed, he could also speak the word and say, your sins are forgiven. This is, it's a coupling that goes, goes together in the New Testament. James says that if, if any of you sick, let him call for the elders of the church to anoint with oil and pray. And if he has sinned, it goes on, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. It, it says that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Notice the, that, that coupling takes place. The words of Jesus and the works of Jesus uh, function simultaneously. So you say, well, it was just a bunch of words. Well, if those words came from the Holy Spirit, you better pay attention. Because God is acting on your behalf. He's speaking on your behalf. Secondly, God is not disorderly or haphazard. He works in a consistent, though not predictable pattern, so we can discern his activity. Jesus understood this. He understood there had to be a forerunner before he, he could make his emergence. He submitted to what God was doing. Before David could be revealed king, there had to be a Samuel who stood there and watched all of Jesse's seven sons go by waiting for, for David before he could anoint him. There was a pattern. He couldn't just make it up. It was a pattern that he was following. He's looking for, constantly looking for the activity of God. Thirdly, um, uh, God will not change his methods to adapt to our ways. We have to change our ways to adapt to his. This is uh, one reason why we study the scripture, so that we might know his ways. I love that psalm that says, show me your ways that I may walk in your truth. Show me your ways that I may walk in your truth. Lighthouse, the next step for us, and, and we saw some of it today, I, I, I find this... Uh, I find this thing often happens. Holy Spirit will start to demonstrate my message before I ever get to tr get a chance to preach it. He just he just is always a step ahead. He's with me. He's like five steps ahead. Okay, but but uh, he's always demonstrating something. And and the the next step for you in in your walk with the Lord is gonna is gonna be to learn uh, this the meaning of this phrase incarnational ministry, incarnational ministry, the Spirit upon you. You say, Pastor Ken, I'm, I'm imperfect. So am I. But the Holy Spirit is not. Holy Spirit's perfect. And what God wants to do is he wants to put his power on your imperfection. He wants to put his super with your natural and you'll, you'll begin to operate in the supernatural. A lot of us, uh, a lot of us we, we say, okay, I'm a... I'm the bystander, and I see a, a situation here, and oh, I need to pray about that. And so we say, God, why don't you do something? And he did because he, he positioned you there. So he wants you to act. He wants you to move into that. He wants you to step into that place. You know, this is going to sound blasphemous, and it's not. But a lot of people are asking, uh, you know, if, if you were to look in a situation where Jesus healed the blind man, you don't find Jesus uh, oftentimes praying publicly for healing. Jesus went and healed. Right? 
Well, when you, when you and I learn to have intimacy with God, we'll just walk with the Lord throughout our day. And the Holy Spirit anointing will cause things to happen as we go. You encounter somebody and, and you say, well, I, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. The Holy Spirit knows what to do. Why don't you ask him? Because he's in you and he's upon you. And you, and you begin to move in incarnational ministry. Suddenly you'll have a, a prophetic word. Suddenly you'll have faith for something that you didn't have when you woke up that morning. I, I don't know. I just believe it's supposed to be this way. And so, okay, let release that in that moment. Uh, you, you, you see somebody with a need and the Holy Spirit will just bubble up on the inside of you. Man, I really want to heal them. Lord, why don't you send a, why don't you send a healing evangelist? I did. It's you. See, what you're doing when, when you find yourself and you, and you look at yourself and you say, well, I don't have, but what you do when you say you don't have, you completely discount what you do have, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that's on Jesus to do the, the ministry is the same spirit functioning in your life today. That's the purpose of why Jesus came in the flesh, fully God and fully man, so that we could understand how perfect doctrine and how perfect ministry happens. I lost half of you right then, but but it's 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 the truth. The problem is that puts uh, that that means that my re my response to my situations has more weight on what I do or don't do, and we don't like that. We don't we don't like the idea uh, that I have anything to do with whether or not something. Here's what I have to do: I just have to be obedient to do what the Word tells me to do. Pray for the sick. When the Holy Spirit gives me a word, he wants to know if I'm a messenger that will speak what it is that he wants me to say. That's it. Now, the results are up to him because Ken Kramer can't heal anybody. Ken Kramer doesn't have anything that's going to minister to anybody, but the Holy Spirit does. So if I'm just obedient to open my mouth when he tells me to open my mouth, results are uh, totally on God. But I have to open my mouth. God will not speak a prophetic word to somebody if he's put that word in my heart. I've got to be the one to open my mouth. I've got to be one, the one to step out and do what he wants me to do. Are you tracking with me? Um, so it's important for us to get a hold of that. Incarnational ministry, that's the thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to have. Number four, and we'll finish here. God wants all his people to be able to see, hear, and heed the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be a prophetic people. I had a friend when I was in high school. That I, I, he was my first friend uh, when I went to North Carolina in eighth grade. His name is Mark Edmondson. And Mark was, uh, he was just a phenomenal human being. He was a, uh, he, he loved to laugh, great sense of humor. Um, he, was, uh, he was in our district. He was an all-star running back, just amazing uh, individual. And right about the time between my junior and senior year um, of high school, that's when I got born again. I'm 17 years old. Um, I, I met the Lord one night in my living room. I read a book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Read the book, got to the prayer, prayed the prayer, and I, something shifted in me. Man, the Holy Spirit, uh, just at that moment, I knew that I was a child of God, and I'd had this peace that I'd never had before. And so I was like, wow, this is totally different, and, and I, I began to talk to my friends and and uh, Mark at that point our our road began to like go completely opposite directions 
And so our entire senior year, Mark had gotten heavy into drinking, and, and, uh, and he never actually, he, he drank so heavily that there were times that he blacked out in class and eventually didn't show up for class, and so eventually he didn't graduate with my class. This is back in the day before, you know, cell phones and uh, everything. And so I had gone on to Bible college. And what I didn't know was after my first semester in Bible college, wanted to I reached back out to some friends. And what I didn't know was that Mark had been in a, a tragic car accident because of his drinking and he had, he had died. I was one of his closest friends all the way from eighth grade all the way up into our junior year when our, our roads just kind of went apart. And, uh, and his mom, when I finally found out that it had happened, here was my thought. I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. Then I got thinking, you know, there were probably times when I should have shared Jesus with Mark. And I don't know. I don't know if he had the opportunity to come to know the Lord. I know that there were times when we were sitting around and, and, uh, and he started to tell the same old dirty jokes that I used to laugh at that I didn't laugh at anymore. And I, wasn't, I wasn't legalistic, but the Holy Spirit was doing a work on the inside of my heart. And I know I had a couple of conversations with him to point him to Jesus. But I never really sat eyeball to eyeball and said, Mark, you really need to listen to this message. You really need to miss, listen. Anybody that doesn't know the Lord is going to find themselves in a crossroads one day where they will say, I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. You never encounter another human being that that will not cross their mind when they stand before Jesus. You never, ever, ever encounter another human being who will not say, I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. We've got to compel them to come in. We are a prophetic people. That we are here to point to the one who is to come. Point to the one who is to come. Point to the one who is to come. You know him. You know him. If you know Jesus, he's on the inside of your heart. Holy Spirit is upon your life. You know him. So our job, like John the Baptist, is to go find the one. Go find the one that does not yet have the Spirit upon them. Go find the one and say, let me tell you about the one coming. Let me tell you about the one coming after me. See, a lot of the world is, is already accepted Jesus. We're looking for the second coming. But the other half of the world hasn't recognized that Jesus came the first time for them. They don't know about the first coming of Jesus. And here we are. Lights are all on. We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We get to celebrate Christmas. We get to celebrate the one who was and is. But there are people that don't even care who was and who is. And they have not a hope of seeing the one who is to come. Because that won't be a good day for them. You know, if we do our job, if I do my job right, Judgment Day will be the happiest day of your life. Because why? This whole thing's an open book test. We get to look into the Word and find out what we're gonna what we're gonna be looked at for and what we need to do to make preparation. We've had 2,000 years. 
yet a lot of the world, a lot of the world hasn't heard. And they're going to say, I wish I had known. I wish somebody had told me. Can we just stand this morning? I don't know who you plan to invite to Christmas Eve. But I'm going to ask us right now, let's bow our heads. And I'm going to ask the Lord to flash somebody's face before your eyes. It might be somebody you know. It might be somebody you don't You don't know them. It might be somebody you have yet to meet between now and Christmas Eve. But I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a face. And I'm going to challenge you to become a messenger. I'm going to challenge you to become an anointed messenger. And that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the exact words, maybe the meeting place, maybe it's a, maybe it's a warm them up with a text and then take them to breakfast or lunch or whatever. The, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I want you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, to follow through on the thing that he wants you to do. You need to bring the most important gift to that person this Christmas. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, release the face release the name. Show us, Lord God, the person that you've put within the sound of our voice, within the, within the span of our influence, that you want to come to you. Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that we would not worry about what they're going to think. We would not worry about what the outcome is going to be. We wouldn't concern ourselves with those things at all. We would just be obedient, just like John was obedient. He just preached and baptized, preached and baptized, preached and baptized. Lord, I just pray right now for each of us that you would show us, Lord, who it is that you want us to connect with so that they might have the happiest Christmas that they've ever known. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, can I just tell you a little secret? And this is something that I found to be true. That... As soon as the Lord gives me a name or a face, when I finally make contact with them, I discover that he was working on them and he was prepping them for that conversation. He's already done all the work. You say, well, Pastor Ken, I don't know the scriptures all that well. You could trip up the scriptures and still get them in the boat. You, you could, there are so many, why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that draws people to Jesus, right? And you just happen to be there. It's the Holy Spirit who draws them. It's the Holy Spirit who brings them. Let's pray one more time. Father, for anybody that's been away from you today, thank you for the Father's love that's drawn them close today. And I pray that they wouldn't leave here, Lord without finding that new place of intimacy with you where they can lay all their burdens down and they can simply trust simply trust simply be at rest with you in Jesus name Amen Amen God bless you Hey if you're a guest with us please stop by Inside Lighthouse on your way